Welcome ladies and gents, we are here for another episode, it is the Wrestling Connection Podcast with Chris and Glenn, I'm Chris and this is Glenn and we are here, it's episode number 34, Um, yeah can you believe it ladies and gents, 34 weeks in a row we have been here for uh, some wrestling chats, (laughs) yes Glenn was busy one week, not doing anything major though, just moving hoose, but he's back now, he's doing good, I hope he's doing good, I'm going to ask him right now, Glenn, are you doing good? Yeah, Chris, I am doing really, really, really well. And, um, you know, we hadn't talked about planning on doing like our, our kind of mental health analogy yes. uh, segment, but I have just thought of one. So if, if we have time at some point, we could do that. But um, before I start rambling hugely on about myself, let me return the favor. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. I'm really excited for this week's episode, something that I've been thinking about for a little while. Uh, I want to do some sort of retrospective on a championship title. Um, and, you know, the WWE title is an obvious one, but and I think the Intercontinental title might be a bit extensive. Yeah. So I thought, what's one we could try out and see how it goes if we have like a set theme to do like a sort of retrospective on a certain brand or a certain match type or something like that. And we are here now to do a retrospective on the WWF slash E European Championship, one of the most underrated titles in wrestling history for more fun reasons than wrestling quality reasons, but we'll get to that in the second half of today's show. But listen, I'm asking you how you are and stuff like that. Please hit us with some wisdom with uh, another installment of Wrestling With Your Brain. Yeah, so wrestling with your brain, wrestling with your mental health, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And sporadically over the last few weeks, dear listener, we have kind of spoke about mental health and used wrestling analogies. And this one was not premeditated. This one literally just came to mind here. But um, one thing which you'll know in a wrestling match is the importance of pacing. And how you might, in in like a big pay-per-view match, have the big explosive opening to the match and then what happens you bring it down and the tempo comes down and then the good guy has to work their way back up and build up and it's only when there's been that rest period can that good guy hulk up like hogan used to do or you know do the five moves of doom like john cena would do or whatever it would be uh and it was only once they'd had that period of being beaten down, but then having a rest or a rest hold or, or kind of crawling to the corner that they could then bounce back up. And I, this, that's made me think of something which I have done sporadically in my life and which I've been doing a lot more recently. And the benefit this thing has had for my mental health is unreal, Chris. It's helped so much. And that is meditation. Right. Um, I'm going to compare meditation to like the rest hold in a wrestling match. Um, because that's usually where it's placed. You know, you have this big explosive beginning and that could be like the part of your life where you're doing too much, you've taken too much on, or you're just a bit stressed, or maybe your day's been quite normal. But sometimes one of the problems with stress is that people think that it has to just be a mental dialogue of, oh my God, I've got to do this, that, and the other. And it can be. But the problem with stress is that sometimes you don't know your stress. Sometimes you don't Mm. realize that you've been clenching your jaw or your fists for most of the day. And that's what I do. I clench. I, I can have that dialogue. I, I do find myself sometimes worrying when I've got loads to do and I'm ex- like actually saying it to myself. But sometimes I know I'm stressed when I realize that, oh my God, I've just loosened my jaw and I realize I've had it clenched for three hours. Wow. Or my eye will twitch. I get a really bad eye twitch when I'm very stressed too. Um, uh, that became more of a problem when I started teaching because it's such a high-pressure job. And right now, teaching like everyone else's profession is so usually compromised by like stress and meditation and there's so many different kinds is so good so i'm i subscribe to the headspace app which Mm. i would recommend but there's loads and loads and loads of free meditations online if you want to just try out before you pay for a subscription service even on youtube i've seen a few you know loads loads on youtube where like a, a therapist will actually talks you through how to breathe and what to think about and at what point and it, once you get the hang of it it's brilliant headspace is like your mainstream edition of that and it's good because it's reliable and consistent but your doctor can prescribe you to online meditations totally for th- for free so you can get the equivalent of what's on headspace for free i actually have both i have a subscription to headspace because teachers were given it for free at the beginning of lockdown cool. and i have um, some uh, an app which i only have free access to because of my doctor prescribing it to me and i can't tell you like there's the body scan meditation there's muscle relaxation meditation 
And for me, it really helps me switch off because when I, I know I'm stressed when I'm sitting on a Saturday afternoon and it's a lovely sunny day and I'm out for a walk with my wife and my dog and I'm thinking about, yep. oh my God, my higher class, they, you know, they, they just, they, they all did really badly on question 38. Did I not teach them that properly? You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and when I'm having those thoughts, I think if you have that moment and meditate every single day and Headspace makes it really fun because it gives you like a streak like The Undertaker, like (laughs) days in a row you've meditated, uh, then you can have that explosive finish. Then you're much better primed to hulk up the next day and win the match. So uh, folks, it's maybe not for everyone and every mental health solution, every mental health treatment is like that. It's not for everyone. Yes, exactly. Try it. Even if you're just a wee bit overwhelmed, or if you have a long-running history of mental health issues, wherever you sit in that spectrum, give it a bash. It's really relaxing. Don't do it in the bath. You might fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Have you been enjoying your baths recently? Watching oh wrestling God. in the bath? Watching wrestling in the bath, yes. I've, I've enjoyed it. But I also sometimes have audiobooks on and podcasts. And sometimes I just like to light candles and have silence. Yes, absolutely. Um, and Very just enjoy, the, the, appreciate the sounds around you. And not challenge those sounds not or the feelings that you have, but just appreciate it. And that's actually a big part of meditation as well. After yeah. you saying don't meditate in the bath. But yeah, it's just <laughs> um, it, it, it's something that I would recommend anyone who's feeling the pressure of 2020 or has any other kind of pressures in their life. And I think this will apply to most everyone. If you've not tried it, try it. You know, if you're worried about yes. it looking silly, you don't need to do it on the bus. You know, you can yeah. do it at home, sit in your bed and try it. And, and you might find it works. Maybe it doesn't. But then if you find it doesn't work, then there's one other thing you can rule out on your journey to hulking up on your journey to the five moods of doom, or in my case, the five moods of success, because I'm, <laughs> much better and i feel much better in the last month maybe after kind of dipping after moving house and COVID, yes. you know running havoc in schools it's been stressful but i'm in a much better place now You've i've rambled made the, made the hot tag yeah. Uh, yeah i feel like i always need something to look forward to yeah um so you know whether it be a certain wrestling event that may be coming up because i always relax when i'm watching wrestling that's my happy place you know and yeah. um, that is literally you know somewhere to switch off and I, i'm able to do that with wrestling or it's maybe like a holiday if life was normal again or maybe it was you know someone's birthday you were going to have a night out for or something like that yeah or it could maybe be christmas time and christmas time is coming up yeah it is um, an exciting time i love christmas it's my favorite holiday of the year as i'm sure it is many people but i love the build up to christmas more than actual christmas day um I love the present buying. I love the panic shopping. I love the thinking of what you're going to get people. I love the, you know, searching the internet, thinking, you know, what could you get someone, but then seeing all these wee ideas for yourself and everything's all decked out and like fancy Christmas deals and that sort of thing. And then you go into town and there's all these beautiful lights and decorations and that sort of thing, wherever you may live. At least that's for me anyway. Um, It's just a lovely time of the year. And I love the Christmas movies and I love the Christmas music and the Christmas adverts and TV specials and all that sort of stuff. And I also enjoy a Christmas special podcast. And that's what's going to be happening here on the Wrestling Connection. On December the 20th, we're shooting for the five days before the big day itself. It's a Sunday. So, well, Christmas is a Friday, but the 20th will be a Sunday. So we're going to release a Christmas special episode December 20th. And we mentioned a couple weeks ago that for the first time in Glenn and I's friendship, we are going to get each other a Christmas present and we are going to open the Christmas presents on the show. Um, So I'm buzzing for that. I think it's a great idea. One of the best ideas Glenn's ever had. Um, So I just wanted to give you, all the listeners, and you, Glenn, an update on the progress of that idea. So I had a thing in my mind that I really wanted to get you, but it's it's shown to be more difficult than I imagined. Um, it is an item that isn't overly special or anything, it's just something I think you'd quite like and I'd quite like you to have. Um, and I just thought it'd be easy to get, and it's not. So I'm, I'm having a, a fight with myself trying to figure this out and trying to find it on a certain website or something like that, you know. So I'm still working on that. Yeah. But then I thought, like, that's just a bit boring. It's just this one sort of thing. So I was thinking, why don't I get you a couple of wee things to go along with it? So mm-hmm. I'm going to put together a wee sort of Christmas care package, Glen Wrestling themed. And um, a couple of wee things here and there. And listen, budget-wise, this is not going to be an expensive care package. Um, so I don't think, when I say care package, it makes it sound as if you've won like a hamper or something. It's not that at all. Um, just a couple of wee things uh, that will make you pop, I think. And it's not going to be this thing that you're going to be using for the next 10 years of your life. Just a couple of nice wee things for you to open for a Christmas special. How does that sound? 
That sounds amazing, man. So I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know. I, I know you said you were trying to find something, but you're not yeah, sure. So I don't really know how much detail to give you. If I just t- so I had this idea of a thing, and I knew this one thing if I could get it because I saw one of these things on eBay last year, and I thought, oh, that'd be a good thing for Chris. Uh, and it's not like this. It's, it's something you, you just look at and you display. You know, it's a sentimental thing. So it's not got any practical application. Uh, and I thought, right, if I can still see an eBay for that price, then that'd be perfect. So I've looked on eBay and sure enough, there are two of these things. And my God, the prices have jacked up. And then there's the postage as well. <laughs> and like, it, right. you know, you're talking hundreds of pounds. And it's really, I'm, I'm gutted for this thing. And, and so I feel like I may as well just tell you what I had in mind. Because Listen, do I not really ever, it... whether it's Christmas or birthday or anything, do not ever get me something that's hundreds of pounds. I know, but it, it was affordable at one point. I just, the, the one one of them that's on eBay is, is like the 50 quid and then it's like 25 quid of postage from America. And I was prepared for a hefty postage cost, but man, I, I just think if I could get it for you, it'd be so... I think it'd be like an amazing keepsake to have, especially for a fan in Scotland. I don't know, man. Do you want to know what it was? Because I yeah, definitely tell me because have, I was going to tell get me because you. then if if it is that if you do end up finding it for a cheaper price and you do get it, that'll be a big surprise too because I won't be expecting it. Yeah, it's highly unlikely you're going to get this, but I was going to get you an original ticket from WrestleMania 17. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that's a cool one. I can, I mean, how much does shipping need to be for that? You know what I mean? I know it's just. Oh, sorry, it's just flipping. <laughs> <laughs> oh god censored again we're it's in the war zone green we're in the war zone we're in that dark you know, last week you were talking about that dark hour of raw you could have asked me again? about aw oh <laughs> um oh listen that's a great gift and it's something that would be tr- cherished but let's be honest you know it's not worth paying hundreds of pounds for you know nah, for, a, for a ticket it's not as if you get to go to the show i mean <laughs> <laughs> i've got you a time machine and a ticket to the show now we're talking. Yeah. No, I would rather like something like what I'm talking about, like a couple of wee things rather than this one overly expensive thing, you know? Yeah, I'm probably going to go down that route now, I think, um, make it much easier to manage. And so um, you and I have talked about the logistics of how we can exchange the gifts physically without breaking any of the current regulations that are in place. And so there's definitely a way using doorsteps that we can do yes, it. I, just, I was um, just thinking, like, I was actually panicking. I was like, "How? what if we, if I want to record in the 20th, I'll get, no, in fact, we want to launch the episode in the 20th. We're going to need to record it beforehand. Mm-hmm. You know, so what if, what if the package doesn't get there in time? You know, so I thought, I'll just deliver it myself. I'll be Santa Claus for the day. I'll just deliver yeah. it myself. So let's do that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. And so now that I've relieved myself of the pressure of um, uh, of getting a WrestleMania 17 ticket, I feel a wee bit better now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, good. Try and, try and think of something else. <laughs> it's not going to cost you hundreds of quid for a bit of paper. But that's a great idea. Um, very appreciative. But, you know, we have, to, we have to be careful with our money these days, you know. And I'm not going to be spending too much on you either, you know. So let's just keep it civil, you know. Oh, I see. Is that how it is? Fine. 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 It's fine. fine. I'm joking. I'm work. joking. Let's make a, bu- I don't want to say a budget, but let's make a kind of price range, shall we? Shall we say no less than something and no more than something? Yeah, you can dictate that because uh, you've had inconsistent employment this year because of your trade yes. and because of COVID, whereas I've been consistently employed this year. So how about, it's only fair then that you dictate that. Right, let's go no more than like 50 or 60 quid. Mm-hmm. Or, or, is, or you think that's a good, suitable amount? Let's say no more than fifty, um, but and no I'm, less than no less than twenty five or something. That sounds like a plan to me. Okay, sounds like oh, we've just fig- we just figured it out right I've there on the show. I've seen something online that I thought might be good, but then um, oh, <laughs> oh, I've already, I've already, I've already ordered a couple of your things. I'm totally going to get you this thing. I'm going to add to cart. Yes, please. <laughs> 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 I want to see you with this thing. And a photograph. <laughs> so. we'll, we'll film the unboxings too for the YouTube channel. How about that? <laughs> the yeah, definitely. Right. Okay. This. Okay. So one thing is already added to basket. <laughs> Get off eBay. Right. We're, I haven't joined this. Forget the podcast. Right. I'm sure. Let's, let's, let's chat about some wrestling. <laughs> uh, to, to get you off of eBay right now, I'd like you to tell me a story of of you meeting a wrestler before we talk about the European title. 
Right, fine. Um, do me a favour, Chris. If I'm doing that, we're going to have to cue the jingle. Okay, fine. You get off eBay and I'll cue, cue the jingle. Meet a wrestler. We met a wrestler in the flesh. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is me fiddling with my Star Wars um, lunchbox, by the way. That's the noise you can hear. And it's okay. it's, a, it's, a, it's an original and prequel trilogy lunchbox. So on the, on the right-hand side, you've got Han, Luke, and Leia. And then on the left-hand side, you've got Anakin, Padme, and Obi-Wan. Okay. Uh, and you've got like Grievous and Maul on that side, and you've got uh, Boba Fett and the Emperor. Although it's, it's General Kenobi. General Kenobi. Grievous would Voldemort than General Grievous. General Kenobi. You wouldn't. Uh, Grievous would not. Um, Grievous would not pass a COVID test. No, he would. <laughs> that guy would. That guy would be shielding. He would definitely be shielding. <laughs> yeah. Did I you? Mean, um, I, I loved you... General Grievous. I love the character so much. Yeah, but me too. I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that his that battle scene gave us the revised prequel edition version of "Hello There." Hello there, absolutely. So uncivilized. Right, take two. Um, <laughs> this is an excellent story, my friend. I would say it's even the best story. I would say this is probably the best there is. Uh, definitely the best <laughs> there was. And possibly the best there ever will be. And I say it's excellent because I think in my, my execution will hopefully be excellent. Right and then. I'm going to tell, tell the story about how I met Savio Vega. No. <laughs> right then. Hit man me with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. Right. So. Oh, um, man. Oh, that was a sharp shooter. Sorry, sorry. Jesus Christ. Oh, it's just got no heart at all. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you this story soon and jump off the second rope. Mm. You've, you've really screwed up this job. That was a good one. That was a good one. Anyway, right, we're on me to wrestle. Go on then. So I met Bret Hart in Jingle. <laughs> no, uh, right. So. Uh, it was 2009, and I was 18 years old. And 2009 was a weird time for me as a wrestling fan, and I'll explain why. Because I left school uh, in my sixth year, like when I finished my I finished school. I did all six years of secondary school, and I left, and that was in 2008. So by 09, when this meeting with Bret Hart happened, I was in my first year of university, and you know that way when you leave school and you go to uni, like you can kind of reinvent yourself. Yeah, and you can start again, and that I, I don't know what other people's experiences are, but that meant a lot for me because I was never particularly sociable in school. I didn't, you know, have a huge circle of friends. I wasn't invited to parties, and that that, that was on me because I didn't put myself out there. You know, I'm not one of these people to blame everyone else for the fact that I was a bit of a social reject at school. But when I was at school, you know, I had Robert and I had a few other close friends, but we weren't, you know, going to parties and and drinking underage. Not because we were snobby or health conscious, but just because we didn't have the opportunity. Because we didn't give ourselves the opportunity. Right. That was it. It was totally like the in-betweeners. Like we didn't get invited to these yeah, things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um so I'd like to think that uh, though you were just health conscious so you didn't go. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, if you'd asked me at the time, I would have told you that was why, but that was just because I was an immature teen and I didn't really want to I was just trying to save face, but that's why. I just didn't, you know, I was I was I was nervous and anxious as a teen. And stuff like going to parties and drinking kind of intimidated me and scared me. And so that's why I kind of shied away from those things. I just I never wanted to put myself out of my comfort zone. But then you get a uni and it's a bit different. And I kind of felt like for the first two years at my uni, I was like when you're like I was wearing clothes that were awkwardly too big for me and I was yet to go into them. Um, and so I was kind of figuring out who I was as a young adult at that point. And I didn't really settle on that until like 2010, I would say, when I was in my second or third year at uni. Uh, so at this point, it was a transitional phase for me. But one thing that came from it was I didn't have to shy away from being a wrestling fan anymore. I could just speak openly about it because when you go to uni, like, and I went to the University of Glasgow, like, there was a, a society for everything. There was a cheese society, you know? <laughs> there was a communist society, you know, that every political party you could think of had a society. So, no matter what your thing was, it was cared to. And so, I was quite open at that point again about the fact that I was a wrestling fan, 
there was this new social media website called Facebook, which I was was like, so everything was new and fresh, and it felt crisp and clean. And even though at this time you were just a young boy wearing a legacy hat fiddling around <laughs> on YouTube, uh, you know, for me, did you see I that picture of me with DBS and Rhodes and I was like oh dressed in all the gear? <laughs> bless you it's so it's very very sweet it's very sweet god love you um uh, but i'm also like a a university student studying english and uh so one of my favorite places to be was waterstones and so one day when i was 18 i think after a lecture i went into town i went to waterstones on sucky hill street and excuse me pardon me i was uh you know maybe looking for course books or or, or just having a look around because i wanted to project this idea that I was this well-read man which i was not at that age right yeah, now. Yeah. but you know i you know there were a lot of seminars i went to my first two years at uni where i had maybe read an abridgment of the book you know um but uh so i was in there looking for books and i saw this sign that said meet bret hart next week Oof. uh signing copies of his autobiography oh my god Bret Hart is coming to Waterstones in Sucky Hill Street. That's bizarre. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, and I'm still used to people being closeted about the wrestling fandom at this point, and I'm only getting quite open and said, I'll go. And even though it's Bret Hart, he's not been on TV for a long time. It's 2009. This is before he came back. Uh, there'll not be that many people. And so I, I went and asked at the thing, uh, at the counter, like, how do you, do you need to get a ticket? Or what, what's the deal? How do you do it? And they said, nah, you just, you rock up on the day and you buy the book, and that's your ticket. I thought, fair enough. So I remember saying to uh, a couple of friends, my friend, my best friend Robert, who I've known for many years, uh, and um, another friend, Billy, who I've also known since like primary one or primary two, um, about this. And the reason I was telling them about this is because they were friends from my childhood. They were not university friends. They were childhood friends, and they represented the past, and so they, they shared that wrestling fandom for me. Um, and I, I really wanted somebody to come with me and I didn't want to, uh, you know, go about uni telling people I'd only known for a few months, do you want to come with me to meet Brett the Hitman Hart? Uh, yeah, of course. At worst, because I was still kind of slowly coming out of the closet as a wrestling fan again. Um, and so I asked Robert and Billy if they would come and actually, as memory serves, they weren't very keen to come. Really? It was a bit of a bore and a bit of a thing and uh, eventually... This, I think it was Billy said, "Like I'll come, but I'm not buying the book." And then I, and this this is so funny thinking back on this because this is not me at all now. I don't compromise in this way anymore for people. But I just went, "Okay, I'll buy you both books if you come with me." So I, I spent, I don't know how much was a hardback book back then, probably sixty quid, for three books. Um, and in 2009, that was a lot more money than it is now. Absolutely. Um, and so well, I'm just taking a sip of my. Because, I mean, if I knew that was the case, I would have came. <laughs> I know, right? But you were too busy hanging out with Cody and Ted DiBiase. <laughs> Going, do you like um, my t-shirt? Yeah. <laughs> T-shirts play an important role in the story, Chris. You'll see okay. in many ways than one. So they they agreed. And for context for this next part, I've always been a very hygienic person. I, I right. believe in staying clean and clean clothes and stuff. Uh, so I got up that day got cleaned up you know and then i looked in the cupboard for what to wear you think maybe glenn would uh, you would uh, pick a a nice wrestling t-shirt to wear i decided to pick out some clean jammies and i put them on i don't Wait, know why. Hang, whoa, hang on this is like to go out yeah yeah why I don't know if I, if I thought I was being cool and trendy and alternative because I was at uni and I was just <laughs> trying, trying to be funny. Thing. And I think oh, I was Brett, annoyed. Brett will love this. Yeah. Brett will love this. Jesus, I know. Wait till you get right. So, we're not even there yet. <laughs> so, okay. um, so I think I thought it was going to be cool and trendy. And part of me, I know now, thought like I was a bit resentful of the fact that they would only come if I bought the books. I'm going to say they. I think it was mainly Billy. Robert is like, like the best friend that I've got. And so, like, he came, but he definitely didn't pay for his book. Um, uh, and I think this was part of me, like, well, I'm going to look different to how you know me. So, like, I, like, I, uh, so I put jammies on, and I went into town in my pajamas at the age of eighteen to meet Bret Hart. Did you also have like the kind of jammy bottoms as well? Yeah. Okay, and slippers? No, no, I was wearing trainers. 
Right. I mean, the jammy bottoms were excusable because they kind of looked like joggies, but you know, it was pajamas, right? And okay. you know, there there is photographic <laughs> evidence of this. So okay. So uh we go into town and meet the boys and we go to Waterstones, we buy the books, and so we're in the queue and uh it, I was expecting a small queue because nobody liked wrestling, remember, and it was flipping huge. The American yeah, fans. Mob. Of course it was. Of course it was. Like like wrestling fans didn't go away. I was just naive in thinking that they would. Um so a uh, massive queue, but we bought the books and that was we knew at that point we're definitely meeting Brett. So we bought them and uh, you were to write your name on a post-it note and stick it inside so that you didn't have to tell Brett your name. Yeah. Uh, so he could sign it personally. And that's actually fairly standard practice just it's because of ac- yeah. accents and stuff and it speeds things up. You can still have your moment with the talent, you know. And we all know it's a book singing. You're not going out for a drink with them. So you know you're not exactly. going to do that much thing with them anyway. So I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't wear your jammies if you're going for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, uh, we get there, and when we get into Waterstones and we're out of the cold, Billy un- undoes his hoodie. And he's wearing a Triple H t-shirt. Oh. Deliberately. Oh. Deliberately? And is, yeah, and this is before Brett had returned to WWE. This is before any hatches had been buried. And all I could think about was the fact that the night before, I'd watched Wrestling with Shadows, and all I could think of was Brett's ex-wife, Julie, Telling a Triple H, yes. get ready to bleep me. Uh, get ready to bleep me, Chris. Don't give me that. You knew it from the beginning. You know, on the night of the screw job. So, um, it's widely known in 2009, as it is to this day, that there's still beef there. That Brett does not like Triple H. Just doesn't like him. He's a four out of ten. You know. You said, yeah. You said that your mate Billy's favorite wrestler is like he's a Triple H guy. Like he yeah, loves he, Triple he H. loves he loves Triple H. Billy absolutely loves Triple H, and Billy went to a wrestling show with me and fought out for a ticket only because Triple H was on the bill. Like he wasn't okay. even watching wrestling at that point when we went to the 2007 show. But when he heard that Triple H was going to be there, he was like, "I'm there." And and for the record, this sounds like I'm being critical of him. I'm not because I love I love Billy. But this is when we were daft teenagers. You need to understand this. Like we yeah. were all irrational, you know. Um. Uh, Billy's a great guy. He was at my wedding. He's just uh, uh, a very kind of gentle soul, and I'm glad that he's still alive and kicking in my life. So anyway, but the but the bastard wore a Triple H t-shirt. Okay, there's no there's no two ways about it. He deliberately wore it because he knew that Brett didn't like it. And again, there's photographic evidence of this. So uh, we're in the queue, and we have that lovely moment, which we have spoken about so many times, Chris. That moment where you see them for the first time. Yeah, and in my mind, Brett looked like what he did in two thousand and six at the Hall of Fame because that was the most recent picture I'd seen of him. Yeah, and he looked he looked similar, but just maybe a wee bit greyer. I mean, he looked pretty much like he did in twenty ten when he came. Yeah, yeah. this was only like five months before that. Um, and there he was sitting at the very top floor of Waterstones at a desk, and people are going up to him with the book and getting stuff signed. And so now you've got a lot of interesting elements, Chris. You've got um, the fact that I'm wearing pajamas. The fact that Triple H, a Billy's wearing a Triple H t-shirt, not Triple H wearing a Billy t-shirt, that'd be interesting. That would be, that would be a story. Uh, and you've got Robert, and this is an important thing you should know in advance for what's coming. It's very hard to get Robert to smile in a photograph. Okay. I'm looking at one right now. There's a picture of you and me and Jamie and Robert at Raw in 2016, and he's smiling in that, which is unusual. And Robert, <laughs> Robert is not a miserable kind of deadpan guy. He's quite dry, yeah. but he's... Um, he just doesn't smile a lot in pictures. There's a quite, unless we're doing like the Matt Hardy delete thing, he doesn't really smile. Like in my flipping wedding pictures, when it's the entire, because in my wedding, as you know, we had 15 people at the ceremony only, and then everybody yeah. else was an evening guest. Um, and so Robert was there as one of the groomsmen. Uh, and even at that, when we're taking all the pictures, he looks like he's so <laughs> absolutely fed up, like I'm wasting his time, you know? <laughs> um, so th- these are elements you need to imagine because there's going to be a photograph eventually, right? Okay. So we're, we're in the queue and we're getting closer and closer. I'm 60 quid down. I'm 60 quid down. I'm wearing pajamas. I've got somebody wearing a Triple H t-shirt and the guy, <laughs> a guy who looks so miserable in pictures next to me. We get closer and closer to Brett and this one guy, and this is kind of a side, a side footnote to this whole thing. One guy uh, walks up to Brett, and he starts ranting loudly at Brett, and he's going oh, yeah. and he's like gesticulating. He's like, "Get in there, you know that." By the way, now you show Michael's that because you, of course, absolutely did this. And he's like talking <laughs> at Brett, and Brett is just looking at this guy, kind of nodding occasionally. <laughs> and I kid you not, 
Chris, this same guy would become the bane of my life at Inside the Rope shows like a decade later. Like he was heckling at the Goldberg show I went to for Inside the Robes. He was heckling at the Paul Heyman show. I've seen him on a bunch of things. He always would go to these shows and get really drunk. And at the Goldberg show, Kenny had to tell him to shut the F up. Uh, because, like, why would you... Who feels confident heckling Goldberg? <laughs> why, of all the people you could pick a fight with? Anyway. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't... I mean, somebody needs to show that guy Survivor Series 2016, but it's the same guy, because he has... I'm not going to go into details or get personal, but he has a distinctive look about him, so... Right. Like, I joined I joined the dots, right? Like, it was the same guy, and he's just very brass. The Billy Gunn show of Grado. That's a story I've not told. One day I'll tell that. He was at <laughs> that as well. Tried to hijack the whole flipping thing. So what about um, so what is he saying to Brett then? Is I, he talking about Shawn Michaels or what? Talking about how he's, I, I think he was saying how he's like a better wrestler than Shawn, but WWE won't give him credit for it. But he's okay. Saying, I'm really fast, I'm really Glaswegian accent, so it's really hard to make sense. So like I couldn't make that much sense of it, and I've lived oh. in Glasgow all my life. So how this man from Canada is expected to make sense of it, I don't know, because in his mind, everyone who's Scottish talks like Rowdy Roddy Piper, you know. <sighs> Um. Yeah. So that happens, and then we we get to the meeting, and I I think Robert and Billy went first, and everyone's getting a book signed and a picture. It's a really good deal, like for what you're paying. You're paying fifteen quid for a book or twenty quid for a book, and you're getting to meet him an autograph and a picture. That's pretty good. Um. And so, uh, for whatever reason, rather than get an individual picture of me and Brett, where we'd be like holding hands you know like like in a kind of a manly yeah. kind of high five thing rather than do that that what everyone else is doing i out of the blue just said can we all get a picture with brett together me and these two members of the <laughs> adam's family you know um <laughs> sorry again for my language um fired up today i'm fired up because i'm getting angry at myself talking i'm not angry <laughs> at my friends i'm angry at me because i made all the wrong decisions at this day i decided to buy them the books i decided i couldn't go along i decided to wear pajamas like, like this is <laughs> this is all on me okay like so um i think billy and robert met the, brett first and from a distance that seemed to go well and so because the his brett's people this allowed us to do three with brett billy and robert lingered behind brett when i went up to meet him so this is 09, and this is like not around the time that the the wrestler movie came out with Mickey Rourke. Right. Um, and so I'd been thinking about what to say to Brett, and I'm like, I'm not going to embarrass myself this time. This won't be like Jeff Hardy. I'm not going <laughs> to embarrass myself. Uh, this is only two years after I met Jeff Hardy. And he probably shoots something at Brett saying, I watched Dressing My Shadows last night. <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, I actually did okay in this. It was the outcome. Uh, Brett was clearly not like for understanding me or what didn't hear me properly or just wasn't listening or was tired he's Bret Hart he can do what he wants right I'm not angry at Bret again this is all on me okay so we get I get up to him and I go up to him we shake hands and he starts to sign my book and he's got one of the most gorgeous signatures in the history mm. of like I love Bret Hart's signature and this book to this day is one of my prized possessions I'll, I'll, everyone I'll put it on the Instagram um so go and look at it. I, I love it. Signs it personally to Glenn, does a signature. And I said, I would love to see, and I said this, I thought this was a good thing to say to him. I said, I would love to see a, a movie of this one day. I, I bet somebody else, you could do a much better job than Mickey Rourke. And then he went, <laughs> I can't do I'm trying to do the impression. So but rewind. I said to him, I hope there's a movie of this book one day. You could do a much better job than Mickey Rourke. He looked up at me. So Bret Hart looked up at me, put his pen down, made eye contact, and he said, yeah, that happened. <laughs> he clearly had no idea what I just said to him and just had a stab in the dark. And I went... Oh, I love that. I went, okay, thank you. <laughs> he got really loud. Um... And so then we all stood around <laughs> Brett, right? And proceeded to take the most effing miserable looking picture ever. Because this is no slight on Brett, but you know, because Brett's had a stroke, so he doesn't smile right. easily, right? Okay, so like that's no, not a joke, but he he doesn't smile easily. He's not, he's not the cheeriest of looking fellows. And he, he never, even before his stroke, he never was. You know, he did, he was always <laughs> a, 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 a deadpan kind of guy. You've got Robert, who never smiles. Then you've got Billy who looks so miserable, and he's wearing this Triple H t-shirt, again, deliberately. And then you've got me in my pajamas. 
And have you ever seen this photo? I don't. I, well, I can't remember anything like pajamas or anything. You need to send me it. I'm sending it to you now. So you got your phone there? Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to keep talking because it'll take me a, a wee second to find the photos. I've got like okay. a wrestling album. Uh, and, and remember, I chose to do this rather than get a picture with just him. Oh, I've got it here. So I'm looking at the picture now. I'm smiling. <laughs> I'm wearing pajamas. Brett's doing his best. Robert and Billy look miserable. We've all just met him. So, uh, so what did they say to Brett? Did they say anything funny? I don't know what they said, but honestly, Chris, <laughs> it's coming away now. I don't know. Maybe he was saying, "Yep, that happened." Like he wasn't a fan of Mickey Rourke. You know what I mean? I know. I think he just didn't hear me. It was like, "Oh, somebody would do a better job than Mickey Rourke." Yep, that happened. You got well, it. That is not what I, that is not what I thought Billy looked like at all. Billy is bald now. Uh, but that was oh yeah, yeah. Cause that's kind of what I've got in my, my mind of Billy. Okay, yeah, so that's okay. So your pajamas, right? Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't look too bad, like pajamas. They look They're... like they look like you're wearing the kind of like slack top. Okay. Um, Brett, Brett's face sums up the experience. Looks like. Um, <laughs> and and I mean Billy. I don't. I mean Billy looks. Have I, I, I met? I'm sure I've met Billy a few times. He was yeah. You've probably met him. Uh, like he's, he's been, he was at my wedding. You may have crossed paths with him then. God, he looks miserable, miserable there. And that's a typical Robert look, though, isn't it? Like yeah. Robert, Robert. I, do you know? Like now, Robert is likely to listen to this because he listens to most of the episodes, and I'm really grateful for it. And Robert will know this because I've said this to his face. Robert never shows that he's impressed by anything and that's why in the build-up to his 30th i made that crazy video which is another right. story i'll tell one day you know with all those wrestler cameos and with with all those faces in it because i wanted something to impress him you know yeah exactly so that's <coughs> what you're seeing there you know it's not it's not the worst picture at all i mean you could look a bit happier i mean you look fine i'm i'm, I'm smiling but i see you mean also, about the jammies i'm looking at myself and i'm going what why are you making these decisions glenn you <laughs> know you look awfully lanky there, like very tall. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still tall. I'm just a little bit wider now, that's all. Yeah. Well, there you go. Not bad. Um, but a happy experience all round then? Not really. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't look back at that and go, oh, that was good. I met Brett. I'm, I'm glad I've met Brett. I kind of wish I'd gone to the more recent Inside the Rope show and yeah. met him again. I want a better You know, you say that like he doesn't really smile that often. I was very impressed that Inside the Ropes managed to get a thumbnail of him kind of smiling. Yeah. And because I saw that, I, I, like, that was one of the reasons I clicked on the video, you know, on, on, on YouTube, because I was like, he's smiling. Remind me to tell you something about that when we're not recording. It's not for the record. Okay, well, I'll tell you something. Do you know who else met Bret Hart one time in his life? Who? <laughs> are you going to do? Are you going to say David Weissmith? The British Bulldog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Right, I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need the toilet break before we do this. Okay, no worries. Okay, it's time for European Championship toilet break. Mm-hmm. Toilet break. Oh yeah. And we are back, ladies and gents, from our toilet break. How was it for you, my friend? Um, I feel lighter. Okay, not, not too much info, but that's fine. Uh, shall we now, as quick as we can, but also without rushing, look through. Uh, some of the more prominent moments of the European Championship. Now, why have we chosen the European Championship? We like kind of obscure things here on the show, as you might know if you listen to any of the episodes. And we think the European Championship is a perfect example of an obscure thing in wrestling that we both hold near and dear to our hearts, but aren't like isn't like too serious of a thing, you know? Yeah. Um. So before we get started, when you were younger, right, when the European Championship was in business. How did you look at it? You know what I mean? Like, you know the way you knew the WWE Championship was like the main title, right? Yeah. But for me, the Intercontinental and the Cruiserweight and the Hardcore and the Tag Team and the Women's and the European, they all were kind of the same to me. But now looking back, I guess the European title didn't mean as much, you know, because it was put on less feuds and, you know, it was taken away in 2002 or whatever. What about you? What did you think about the European title? Well, um, that was a time in wrestling when people said there were too many belts. I mean, they've always been saying that since day dot. You know, I, I don't think some of those people will ever be happy until they just have no belts in wrestling. But um, I 
at the time, definitely recognised a hierarchy. I definitely saw WWF Championship number one, Intercontinental number two. I think maybe the whole two-man power trip angle when I was like 10 years old with Austin right. and Triple H solidified that because it was kind of a shock when Triple H bet Jericho and SmackDown for the IC belt. Right. But, oh my God, Triple H has been the world champion, but he's going back to the IC belt. That's weird. Um, but the European title was still... Even though it was the number three belt, it still seemed really cool. And I liked all the different belts in WWF at that time. I liked how it, it meant there was more opportunities for Scotty Tohoti to hold a belt or for <laughs> Jeff Hardy to hold a belt. You know what I mean? Um, I love, by the way, I love the fact Scotty Tohoti is like your obscure favorite. Yeah, I know. So that's, that's the perfect thing for the wrestling connection. You know what I mean? Like Scotty Tohoti. I love him. So we'll, we'll talk about things like Matt Hardy's really lengthy European title reign yeah. later. But there was a time when Matt Hardy was the European champion and Jeff Hardy was the light heavyweight champion in 01. And um, I love that. The Hardy boys both have singles titles and mm. the, the sheer number of titles enables it. So I definitely saw it as like the number three belt, but I loved it. I actually had a replica foam European yeah. belt when I was a kid. Like a Did I have belt. that too? I think I may have that too, actually. Yeah, the foam I, one. I loved, yeah, I loved it. I and I loved the design of it, and I, I, it never seemed like a new belt to me because it was, you know, historically we know that it was February '97 that it came in, but that was just before my time, like when right. when Bulldog showed up. Like I didn't become aware of the European title really. It was like, own when I got into wrestling, own heart had just passed away, so it wasn't really till '99. You know, uh, well, yeah, maybe, yeah, around the time Shaming Man took it in february yeah. of 99 that was kind of when i got into it and i thought that was cool oh my god a man holding a belt that's bizarre yeah. you know yeah. so what about you like it was kind of you were very young when it was retired mm-hmm. i suppose yeah but i mean i've I'm, all my life i've gone back and watched stuff you know what i mean so it's still i was still able to see lots of the stuff you know mm-hmm. um, and then the shows like backlash 01 or you know SummerSlam slam 01 or any of these shows that the european title is on mm-hmm. uh, i would watch over and over again so it would just become drilled in my mind that that was like a recurring belt you know um but yeah it's not one that i would really go out my way to see but i just always thought it was cool you know yeah Um, because guys like matt hardy and crash holly and raven and that could potentially win it you know exactly and it was a prestigious kind of looking belt you know it was eddie guerrero's first singles belt in wwf i think because you know it it was a lot of meaning for a lot of people and i was always really happy that Whereas I never got to see it defended, I got to see it in the flesh. You know, when Edge yeah, and Christian cool. fought in the cage match, it was Edge's Intercontinental belt that was on the line, but Christian had recently won the European title at a house show. That was his first televised appearance with ah. the belt at Rebellion because he won it at a house show. Let's uh, let's let's maybe watch that one day together. Keep it Bradshaw. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the European Championship was brought into existence on the 26th of February, 1997, and uh, it was held by the British Bulldog, or won by the British Bulldog, as he defeated his brother-in-law, Owen Hart, in a match on Raw in Germany. And it is regarded by a lot of fans as the best Raw match in history. Do I agree with that? No. Would I put it in the top 10? Most likely. It's a really, really, really good wrestling match. I can imagine in 97, when you're going through this sort of ECW kind of boom period, and there's good stuff going on in Japan, and WWE is getting a bit cartoony, I bet a match like this would really jump off the page. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. Uh, and, you know, I sometimes forget how good of a wrestler David Boy Smith, Smith was because of his build. You know, I yeah. look at him as a, as a big guy, but he's actually a great wrestler and he's, he goes toe-to-toe with Will and Hart here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, David Boy, for me, I have the same kind of association with because... Um, I only really became aware of him. Well, I saw him in the, in the video games, but you know, I only saw him on TV in his last couple of years in WWF, where maybe he wasn't really at his old level anymore. He could maybe do what he once could. So I've never gone back to watch this match of one, but it's a big deal. And of course, he was a logical choice for the first champion, especially at that point in his career. And I just can't imagine. The genius yeah. and the audacity behind the circumstances by which he lost that belt. I think you would love this match, Will Owen. And I think if you love the the Bretton Owen steel cage, you love this one. Yeah. So I'd recommend that checking it out maybe later today. Um, and then we have one night only. The UK was it in Birmingham or was it Manchester? I think it was Birmingham. Birmingham, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and it was uh, September the twentieth, nineteen ninety seven. 
and Shawn Michaels defeats him. Now, explain this to me, because I had a VHS tape when I was younger called Wild in the UK. I think it was a Silver Vision exclusive. Yeah. And it was it was only on for about an hour and 20 minutes or something, and it was like, just a compilation of matches. It was hosted by Coach, which is another reason why I love the fact he's done an intro for our show. Um, and this match is on here, and I just remember, like... I didn't really have an opinion back then when I was really young. I didn't like love and hate matches. It was just all kind of the same to me. I just had favourites, I suppose, but like I just I, I just didn't like watching this match. Um because first of all, it looks I mean, Davy Boy selling is ridiculous here. It looks as if he's in so much pain. But just the yeah. stuff like with, with them shouting at Davy's wife and her crying and getting really upset and the commentators shouting at Shawn Michaels and people throwing things at Shawn Michaels. I didn't really understand the significance of this. And I mean, even obviously, I know what the situation was. Sean just wanted to, you know, wanted to get the title, and it would be a good thing for you know the feud with Brett, and it's a good heel move beating Davy Boy in his own country and that sort of thing. But what was with this thing? Was it a, was it a real personal thing that he just wanted to embarrass Bulldog? What, what do you think? No, I I don't think there was. The way I've always understood it was that it was just it made sense in terms of heat. And it would be a great talked about moment. That's how I've always believed that it was. Was there personal animosity between the two? Yeah, definitely. Like I think because of the the nature of the Brett Sean relationship, but also at the same time, Brett and Sean were love hate. You know, people think that they always hated each other. They didn't. They got on and then they fell out, and then yeah. they got on and they fell out. So, like Sean had his reputation at this point. And maybe some people internally saw this as part of that politicking backstage. But to be honest, I agree with that booking decision. Because, yeah, there's, there's the argument of sending the fans home happy. But that is talked about to this day because like, the heat that came off it was unreal. Even if just for one night, the video footage that you can for that is incredible. So... um. I I am all behind Sean taking it from David Boy, and I, I you know I don't know the uh, the ins and outs of the match, but I'm pretty sure he didn't get it legitimately. Um, so like I think it was a perfect thing for a heel to do, beat, beat the hometown boy and take his title, and it talk feels special. Send, yeah, talk about sending the crowd home happy. Can you imagine that? There must have been a dark match after that, surely. God, they were raging. Um, and then he loses the trip. Shawn Michaels loses the title to Triple H on the Christmas edition of Raw 97. And it's like this silly, I think because like Commissioner Sergeant Slaughter's like, Shawn Michaels, you need to defend your title. You've not defended it properly. You're going to defend against Triple H. Ha ha. And then they kind of take the mic and, you know, Triple H, Shawn Michaels lies down for him and, you know, pins him in two seconds or whatever. And Triple H then holds it for 40 days as a sort of undeserving champion. Yeah. Which is quite funny. Um, and it's funny because a few years later, Kevin Ash and Hulk Hogan would do the same in WCW, yeah. finger poke of doom. And it was looked at as a disgrace to the wrestling business because yeah. it was the world title and not the European title. I don't know if you've got double standards there. I don't know. But there you go. Um, Triple H would hold it until 98, January 98, where Owen Hart would defeat him. And I just feel like when I think about the European title, I think about a few wrestlers. And one of the people I think about the most is Owen Hart. Um and I guess we're going to see how much he did hold the title, but he had his first reign in January 98, so there you go. And this is all the more serious stuff we're looking at here, where it was kind of looked at as like an actual belt. Yeah. But as we do, go on, it gets ridiculous. It does. You know, you can tell at the start they really tried to make something of it, but it does become more of a comedy, not comedy prop, that's not fair to the belt. No, but at it, all. It, the commitment to thing. the belt is, is, less, is less consistent at this point, and it is more of a transitional thing. It is basically... Because the roster was blowing up, it's another stepping stone. You know, if you can't win the IC belt, we'll book you yeah. to win this belt. You know, Good and the roster was, was blooming at that point. And yeah, you know, when guys like X Pac and Dilo Brown win it, like that, you know, for me, that's when because you look at that title history and your first three champions or four champions are Bulldog, Sean, Triple H, and Owen, and then it goes to Dilo Brown and X Pac. And then Shane McMahon. Like, that's when you know it's transitioning. And as soon as we get into 1999, well, throughout most of 98 and 99, like, that's when it's thoroughly placed as a mid-card belt. Really. Yeah. Well, Triple H wins it back in Raw, in Raw on Raw, in March, just before WrestleMania, it looks like. And then D'Lo Brown ends up defeating Triple H for the title. I believe this was in a triple threat match or something like that. I don't imagine D'Lo pinned Triple H clean. Um, but that was in July of 98. Dilo Brown is probably the person I would say I think of, you know, when I think of the European title. 
Mm-hmm. Or one of them anyway. One of the top three would be Dilo Brown. And I guess me, I'd, I'd think of Matt Hardy, but not because he was this big champion, just because I had a, a VHS tape of him being the champion, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, Dilo Brown, he goes into SummerSlam and has that great match with Val Venus uh, for the European title. Uh, then X-Pac wins it on Raw, holding hold it for two weeks, goes back to D'Lo Brown, and then back to X-Pac at Judgment Day. Um, I guess X-Pac was a big kind of European champion advocate. And then it goes to Shane O'Mac. Can you say this is a, a, a really sort of early memory for you with yeah. Shane being European champion? What did you think of this? Yeah, I just because I always loved Shane as a kid, so I thought it was cool. And I always like talk about Xbox Heat, but I I never liked him as a kid. And I, it's funny because now as an adult, I'm a huge Sean Waltman guy. Yeah, like, you know, I think he does not deserve that. I'd never understood the whole Xbox Heat. Like I never understood why that was a thing, because I think that he's just an all rounder, and uh, yeah. like, and he he fit, he serves his role perfectly. Um, but yeah, this is kind of when I started to become much more aware of wrestling at this point, which when Shane O'Mac uh, won the belt. And that, of course, then kind of went all the way up to WrestleMania. He defended it against X-Pac. And I think he, he came out of that with the belt, didn't he? I think so. And then they go into the corporate ministry stuff and the belt just kind of disappears. Yeah. Um, they don't talk about it. And I've just crossed this part of my actually there to watch along. Mm-hmm. And they're in the corporate ministry. And they've got people like Viscera in there on the Brood and the APA. And then they've got this guy called Midian, who used to be in the Godwins. Um, yeah. And Midian is just doing nothing. And Midian says to Vince McMahon, I just found this belt in the dressing room and no one's using it. Can I just have it? And Vince is like, yeah. So at this point, you you have to think <laughs> they might have lost any plans yeah. or hope for the European title. <laughs> Not to take anything away from Midian, just the way that it was put on him, you know what I mean? Um, so Midian, I'm sure Midian was a fine wrestler. I can't tell you a match of his that I particularly like, though. So Midian is the no. champion, uh, and then he loses it at fully loaded 99th D'Lo Brown, which, to be fair, this is actually a good match. I watched this one recently. D'Lo Brown always had those kind of fun mid-card matches. Yeah, so D'Lo Brown uh, is, is European champion in the summer of 99 and is defeated at SummerSlam by Jeff Jarrett. And I have this real nice sort of memory of this match because I believe I had the SummerSlam 99 videotape when I was younger, but I didn't watch it as much. Or maybe, I don't know if it was when I was younger. I think it was when I was getting into kind of collecting things more. I mean, I got this one out of the wrestling shop um, and this is the opening match. And I think SummerSlam 99 is one of those shows that I would never watch like all the way through. Yeah. I might just watch the first couple of matches, then maybe get bored and go play with the figures, you know? Um, yeah. So I'd always watch this match. So Jeff Jarrett beats D'Lo Brown there. And the night after on Raw, Mark Henry, D'Lo Brown's pal, defeats Jeff Jarrett for some revenge and sexual chocolate as the European champion for a big 34 days, which is a good run for that sort of time because the titles would flip flop and fly around that time. Yeah, yeah, it really was. You didn't you, even even at the time the WWF championship didn't usually stay on somebody's shoulders for that long. Yeah. Um so D'Lo, D'Lo Brown would win it back in his fourth reign mm-hmm. uh Unforgiven nineteen ninety nine, which is a really unique show. And then on SmackDown in October of nineteen ninety nine, it returns to the first ever champion as the British Bulldog came back. So did the Bulldog go to WCW after the screw job? Or did he just yeah, he, kind of go AWOL? He, he, I think, well, I don't know if he went to WCW. He may have done college sales wrestling. I know he took some time off, you know. But he definitely um, left the WWF for a while. Yeah. And then he came back with his, with, um, he used to wear jeans, remember? That's right. Uh, <laughs> and then he, he is the European champion again, defeated at Armageddon 99 by Val Venus. And looking at this picture of Val Venus here, I had Armageddon 99 on VHS and I yeah. watched it a lot and I have fond memories of that Triple H and Vince match. Um, and I'm sure there's another good match on that show. Is it like a tag team turmoil or something? But I don't remember Val Venus versus the British Bulldog at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. No, so that's interesting. No, I knew Val Venus. Val Venus was presented in an interesting way at this point because you almost thought that they maybe hoped he would be a main eventer one day because he was yeah. a, a big, impressive looking guy. But like, he, he was, was over. With the Rock and Sock Connection later on in that year, you know? They would, yeah, they, you know, he, he was very popular. And see when, see when I was younger, right? So I should not, not have been watching any wrestling, right? Just with some of the characters and stuff. I just always assumed Val Venus was just like a ladies' man. Yeah. I no, didn't, me too. You know, I didn't know the occupation. You know what I mean? Same with the Godfather. And I didn't even understand the fact that Venus was a, a play on, you know. Yeah. I, didn't I thought it was that. like the planet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> the same with the Godfather and same with all these other guys. I just I just thought that was their, that was their character. I don't know. 
I just didn't think of what the, the, the implications were. Uh, then we get a rain from Kurt Angle on SmackDown uh, in 2000 now, which I'm really looking forward to getting to, by the way. I can't yeah. wait to get to SmackDown. Oh, man, it's so good. In 2000. Uh, and then WrestleMania 2000 happens, a really unique... And I can't actually believe they've never redone this. I guess they have done it in some ways, but they've not really redone the way that this match is done, where it's a triple threat match and two titles are going to be on the line, but it's like yeah. the first fall is for one of the titles and the second fall is for the other. Like Usually it's just like winner take all. But I like that. Like Jericho wins the European title and I believe Benoit won the uh, Intercontinental yeah. title, yeah, which is, which is cool. So Jericho won, and then the next night on Raw... Uh, he yep. was defeated by Eddie Guerrero, and this match used to be on Vintage Collection all the time. I don't know why. They must have just thought, let's put a Jericho and Guerrero match on there. It used to be on Vintage Collection, and it's a great match. It's really underrated, and uh, China turns heel and joins Latino Heat. Um, Eddie's a champion for 111 days, which is very impressive, and is defeated at Fully Loaded yeah. 2000 by Perry Saturn. Now we're talking in yes. terms of obscure wrestlers. Any memories of Perry Saturn? Don't go into too much detail though, because he might come out of the box soon. <laughs> I love Perry. His action figure was my equivalent of Randy Orton when I was uh, uh, doing my figure. I don't know why, but <laughs> I have no idea why. I think the trunks were similar, but that was very much it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tattoos. He had tattoos. I loved. Um, I loved everything to do with Moppy. That was like I love that so fondly. Uh, You're yeah. welcome. Doggies eat applesauce to save the ozone layer. <laughs> You're welcome. But I mean, so underrated. It's so weird to think, though, when when they signed the Radicals, you know, Eddie, Benoit, Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn, the one they were interested in the most and the highest hopes were for, Perry Saturn. Yeah. It's crazy. Perry Saturn holds it for a while and is defeated. This is exactly why I wanted to do this episode, by the way. It's defeated by Al Snow on an episode of SmackDown. You can't tell me that, you know, they were thinking when Perry Saturn won the title at Fully Loaded 2000, they went, right, we're going to have like Perry Saturn hold it for 37 days and they're going to build to this match on a SmackDown and it's going to get a huge rating and Al Snow is going to beat him. What I love about the European title is they've just put them together, they've put the title on the line and they went, yeah, let's have a title change. That's yeah, brilliant. why not? You know, that's it. That's exactly it. They, they, they didn't think, oh, we need to elevate Al Snow for any reason. They just wanted a title change on a show. They probably made the decision that night. No doubt. Exactly. 48 days later comes a 47-day title reign from one William Regal. And I look at this picture of him here and he looks so young. Mm, My God. I know he was going through some troubles at this time with like drugs and that sort of thing. I'm so happy he worked himself out and we've still got him today because I know he was in a bit of a mess. And now I just can't imagine life without William Regal, if I'm honest. Um, One of the most underrated performers ever. If if he qualifies for the boys' stable, he's in mine and he's the leader of mine. I have so much time for William Regal. Um, and it makes the most sense for European champion, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he he really does. I mean, especially at that point, because unlike nowadays, ladies and jelly spoons, uh, a British wrestler and on WWF television was a huge novelty. So yes. like, he he was our boy, and uh, you know, I you know, seeing him at Rebellion, like we still booed him, but there was one woman at the front row going, "Come on, Regal!" Come on, Regal! <laughs> and I remember her then, and you can hear her on the you can hear her in on the show, uh, like when you watch on the network now. So this is know. why I feel like we need to make a bigger deal the fact that Drew McIntyre is a two time WWE champion. Like how unbelievably unheard of was that back in the day? You know? Oh, you know, just you never thought that that was something that would apply to Scotland having one of our own, you know, be a, yeah. a champion. And also just, the fact that WWE has its own UK brand. What? <laughs> I know. Like, you know, we, we don't really take stock a lot of, as wrestling fans because so much is fast changing and fast moving, especially now in this this weird-ass year that we're living in. And um, we don't stop and take stock in the fact that, Jesus, it's changed a lot. And in many instances, for the, for the better. Yeah, and you know, the UK development of WWE is big because back in the day, they would just have UK pay-per-views you went to one in Rebellion of 2001. The year prior, on December the twelfth, on December the twelfth, I'm looking at the thing on this on this YouTube video and they've spelled it wrong. Um, is the is December the second 2000 at Rebellion 2000? Crash Holly. Yeah, I can tell you for a fact, Crash Holly is in the random box. 
Yeah, he he won this. This is one of the only times a title changed hands at a UK pay per view. It happened a couple of occasions, but very rarely did it happen because obviously these those pay per views were not broadcast in America. So Crash wins in Sheffield, and they make a big deal about it in SmackDown. You know, uh, or, or the episode of Raw, sorry, after Rebellion when Regal wins it back. But they yes. did that just for the fans, and uh, it wasn't really much else it just served that purpose to pop the crowd that night and because it was the european championship it seemed appropriate but yeah rebellion 2000 crash holly becomes the european champion in sheffield and that, nowadays nowadays the you know the wwe championship has changed hands in manchester yes but, uh, Mental. Um, but not then that was, that was unusual then yeah uh, as you say regal won it back and then it goes to test one of our yeah. favorites um, and he holds it all, I don't even need to look at the next one, he holds it all the way to WrestleMania 17 and loses it to Eddie Guerrero. Yep. After Perry Saturn and Dean Malenko get involved, Perry Saturn wearing that very funny hat. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie Guerrero has a good reign for about three weeks, and then it is going to Matt Hardy, as we talked about, in April of 01, and he holds it for a total of 125 days. My God, that's crazy in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the fact that Matt Hardy was champion, and he was champion for a lot of the invasion, all the way up until Raw in August 2001, as he is, he loses the European title to one of his childhood best friends, which is quite nice to think about, as the Hurricane. Um, and this is exactly, I mean, these are the characters you want as, you know, European champion. The Hurricane then loses it to Bradshaw, you know, uh, on Raw. And then it goes to Christian on a SmackDown. Um, I, I kind of wish, I know it kind of takes away from the title, right? But I quite like how it was very unpredictable who was going to win the title. You don't really get that these days, and that's probably a good thing. Um, yeah. like the IC title doesn't just change hands anymore. Um, but, you know, the US title, for example, feels as if there's a bit more planning than the European title. Um, but, yeah. yeah. Christian holds it for 91 days, and then it goes to the one and only DDP in January of 02 on a SmackDown. And uh, he and Christian have a wee feud up into WrestleMania 18, where when DDP would beat him, Christian would take temper tantrums. Yeah, I love that angle. <laughs> thought it was really good. And then DDP just wanted to make him smile, because that's not a bad thing. That's a good, a good thing. thing. William Regal won it back on uh, March the 19th on a SmackDown. And then it goes to the one only Spike Dudley on a Raw, back to William Regal on a Raw, and then goes to Jeff Hardy and is retired on an episode of Raw in a ladder match as a unification ladder match with Rob Van Dam. So technically Rob Van Dam was the last ever European champion as he unified that with the Intercontinental title. And we saw the European Championship no more. So, what do you think the legacy of this belt is? Do you think it is something to trans to uh, transport, you know, talent up to the next level, or is it just a kind of transitional thing for feuds? It's not. I mean, it's not transitional for the next level in the same way that the IC belt has historically been. There are examples of guys that you can cherry pick from that that list of champions who definitely went on to bigger and brighter things. But that kind of really stopped after the, the early days of the belt. For me, it was a fun curiosity attraction, and that's the curi- that is the legacy. Sorry, of the European title is it's it's a legacy belt and it's an attraction. It's something that you you didn't expect main eventers to hold after a certain point and you didn't expect it to main event a pay-per-view after a certain point but what you got was the fact that uh, to your point before that when you saw the european title being defended there was a real chance you could see a title change and whether you were in the arena that night or whether you were watching at home that's always exciting when there's a realistic prospect of a title changing hands even if it is christian versus diamond dallas page at wrestlemania yeah or a television match between matt hardy and shane helms you know whatever it would be like that's that was always made for good television and i don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with having titles that serve that function and i say that knowing that there are a lot of people who criticize belts that don't seem to hold much weight i i for example understand why people think that the ftw title in AEW right. is, is, a, is a bit rubbish and it doesn't feel very important but what the WWF and the WWE did with the European title was they, they kind of almost tongue-in-cheek said, yeah, we know it's not that important, but we're still going to put it out there and have fun with it. And that's what made it different. They didn't ever try and present it as something that you're supposed to keep. Exactly. Whereas I think in that's all the... wrestling, you're trying they're trying to present the FTW belt with some sort of grit as a symbol, which you're supposed to care about. And I'm not convinced they pulled that off yet. But the European title just got that balance just right so that yeah. I cared about it. I wanted a replica version, and I was sorry to see it go. 
I think that the FTW title will eventually, when something happens, like when Brian Cage puts it on the line and then loses it accidentally and Tannis is raging, I think that will take it to the next level. But right now, it's just a wee thing for, I think for the promos and stuff like that, right? I think it's quite cool. Um, I think the Team Tannis thing is really cool. Um, the, that's the difference between the European title and the 24-7 title, you know? The 24-7 title is presented as a bit of a laugh, and like we know it's not a series, so we're going to have a bit of a laugh. Yeah. But the European title was also like when someone like Al Snow would hold it or Spike Dudley would hold it. These people would never really win the Intercontinental or the World titles, you know what I mean? So it gave them a bit of more legitimacy. And although it wasn't particularly important, they would go, okay, we're making you a champion anyway, you know? Yeah. Whereas the 24-7 title thing, it doesn't matter who's got it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, Eric Young won it before he went to Impact, but you're never going to talk about that. But I guess you'd probably say... You know, or if if the hurricane went somewhere, you'd probably say, "Oh, remember when he won the European title or whoever?" You know what I mean? Um, so I think that's 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 a good thing about that, and I really enjoyed the title. I remember them bringing it back for like WWE Twelve. Do you remember that? Yeah, like one, of the, one of the story modes and career mode. I think that was really cool. Sheamus and William Regal and Barrett and that sort of thing. It was Drew in that as well. I think Drew was there too. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. It was like the British Invasion sort of thing. So that was a fun one on. Um, on WWE 12, the video game where they brought back the European title. So if anybody has any memories of that, please feel free to share on our social media. On Twitter, it's at WrestleConnect1 and on Instagram, it's at WrestleConnection. I'm all wrestled out, my friend, but that's because we've done another great episode of the Wrestling Connection. Thank you for anybody who listened. Thank you to you, my friend, for sharing your wisdom as always. And we'll be back next week and we're planning, it's going to all change, but we're planning something quite special for next week's episode. So please stay tuned. We will see you all in the next one. Thank you very much for downloading and streaming. And we hope you're all staying safe and well in this wacky world. Goodbye, everybody. Take care. Cheerio.